want to let you all know that uh, I'm going to be starting, um, coming up this next week, a doctor of ministry program. Um, um, it's going to be in church leadership. It's going to be uh, out at Fuller in um, Pasadena, California. So we will, or I will be uh, flying out there tonight. Uh, we'll be there for a week and a half or so. Um, and so we're very, I'm very excited about it. The session has been very encouraging and supportive. And so uh, I am thankful for this opportunity and um, also would uh, certainly covet your prayers, especially for my wife and uh, for our uh, four children and um, as they are here alone. Megan is not quite as excited about this as I am, um, but, uh, but she is encouraging and loving all, all the same. And so, um, so I'm looking forward to that, but just want to kind of give you all an update on that. It's about a three or four year program, so it'll be a little while. But um, just to kind of keep you up, if you have any questions, uh, you can please let me know. Um, Galatians 2. As I told you last week, uh, we're going to go all the way through Galatians. um, um, And so that means that we're going to have some larger chunks. This week is a larger chunk. It's going to be all of Galatians chapter 2. But mostly I'm going to be focusing on verses 11 through 21. Uh, But I will read all of it. I realize it's a little bit lengthy, but hang with me here. And uh, we can hear these words from Paul. So let's... Listen to these words to the Galatians. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And I went up in response to a revelation. Then I laid before them, though only in a private meeting with the acknowledged leaders, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not compelled to be circumcised, though he was Greek. But because of false believers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might enslave us, we did not submit to them, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might always remain with you. And from those who were supposed to be acknowledged leaders... What they actually were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those leaders contributed nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel for the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter, making him an apostle to the circumcised, also worked through me in sending me to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who were acknowledged pillars, recognized the grace that had been given to me, they gave to Barnabas and me the right hand of fellowship, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only one thing, that we remember the poor, which was actually what I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood self-condemned. For until certain people came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But after they came, he drew back and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction. And the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas, who was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Got it? 
We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is justified, not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law, because no one will be justified by the works of the law. But if in our efforts to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very things that I once tore down, then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we come to you this morning, hearing reports of how you have been at work around the world. And so we give you praise for that. Lord, we come to you this morning as well, having heard and understand the way that you are at work here in this community, the way that you are at work at Shepherd, and we give you praise for that. We know as well, Lord, that you are are working in the hearts of those who have gathered this morning, and we give you praise for that. We pray, O God, that you would help us to understand what it means that we have received your grace. May we be a people, Lord, who live fully into that reality. But others may also be able to experience your grace. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So you may have uh, seen some of the research that, was, that came out uh, earlier this week. It uh, talked about the fact that uh, apparently if you watch videos of, uh, small, uh, of kittens or of puppies, of small animals, that it increases your work productivity. Did anyone see that? Uh, that you are apparently in a little bit better mood and you just want to accomplish more things. And so it's really, it was kind of interesting, I thought. And so I, I thought maybe we could just watch videos for the rest of the time. And, and I was even going to say, would you prefer to watch videos of cute little animals or to hear me preach? Exactly. And so, which is why I decided against it, Harry Millie. And um, you can get a little iPad and you can watch them while I'm preaching. And um, no, I knew that that would be the answer. So, um, but as I was thinking about that, I was reminded of the television show that has been on now. It has to be over two decades, I would imagine. Uh, America's Funniest Home Videos, right? Most of us uh, know and are familiar with that show. And uh, it seems to me there's usually three primary genres for what makes for uh, a funny video, right? It's uh, one of them is uh, the aforementioned small animals, um, Secondly, small children or babies, that's always kind of a, something that captivates people. And then thirdly, I think, it is video that shows people 
hurting themselves, right? So kind of like when we saw Scott ride down the hill and, and hit the tree, uh, I mean, that was funny. And, um, and, you know, I mean, those kinds of things that we tend to laugh at for some reason. I don't know why it is, but we just do. And I thought about that this, uh, this week as I was looking at this passage. As I oftentimes, for some reason, I get a little bit of a smile on my face when I read uh, passages like this that talk about the trouble that people are having. Uh, there's something that just kind of makes me smile uh, as I uh, kind of read over and reflect on the conflict that was going on in the early church. Here you've got Peter, uh, aka Cephas, who's going up against Paul, right? And you can imagine it's in front of everybody. This is like a remarkably awkward town hall meeting, right? Where you have the, the two leaders are kind of going off on one another. You've got the first Presbyterian church of Antioch that is that is clearly at odds with one another. You've got conflict. And there's just something, I think oftentimes we kind of think, you know, wherever you are, whatever church you're a part of, if you're going through trouble, you think, well, maybe, you know, this is, this is the worst trouble ever, or maybe it's just us. And the reality is, a sad reality, but a reality nonetheless, is that churches, ever since they have begun, have had conflict. It's just a part of what church life is about. Whenever you have a, a community that is gathered together, there's always going to be one issue or another. And so, uh, so, so as we, as we think about this passage, I want us to keep that in mind, but I don't want us to start this morning by looking at that particular conflict. We'll come back to it. I, I want us, I think it may be helpful for us to start actually with what comes later. Now, 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 now the end of this passage, I will admit, you may not be like this, but sometimes when I start reading stuff like this, I, my eyes start getting glazed over, right? And I start thinking about this cute little kitten that I had just seen in a video. And I have no idea what it is that I just read. Because sometimes, as Paul, especially for me at least, as he starts getting into things, sometimes it can just get, it's easy to kind of get lost. In fact, I told the staff on Wednesday morning that, you know, it's never a good sign when you're reading a commentary and, and they say something like, you know, it's really kind of hard to figure out exactly what Paul is trying to say here. It's a little confusing. And I always think, well, that's going to preach. Thanks a lot for that. And, but as I thought about it a little bit more, and as you kind of get through it, even through all the intricacies, and we can't go through all the details of this, I do think that we can kind of get a gist, the gist of what Paul is saying. One of the things that he's trying to do is he is differentiating between the law and grace. Now, there are uh, those who think that by the law, what Paul means here is uh, is the faith of the uh, of the Jews that, that that the Jewish faith perhaps was one full of rules and if you uh, if you did well and you you followed all those rules then you were saved and if you didn't follow all those rules then you were not saved. Others would suggest well maybe what the law actually means here is the difference between are those rules that made one either very Jewish or those rules that did not make you Jewish so things like circumcision or eating uh, impure foods things like that. Whichever of those two it is, the point of the matter of what Paul is trying to say here is that what is more significant than the law is the importance of grace. As I said last week, any time that we add anything to grace, it is no longer grace. And any time you add anything to grace, then as Paul says earlier, Paul says at the very end, then Jesus died for nothing. For nothing. But the question then 
that is inevitably asked whenever you have a grace-centered theology is this. Does it then not matter what we actually do after we have experienced grace? Can we live then however we want to because we are a grace-centered people? This is a question, or at least one of them, that Paul is trying to answer here because there are those, it seems, who are accusing him of that fact. And so he says, does it matter whether or not Christ is a servant of sin? Is Jesus saying, you can live however you want because of grace? It's an important question, and it's one that we've struggled with since the beginning of the church. You see, we struggle with grace, it seems to me, because while we like it in one sense, it's also a little bit gray. It's not as clearly defined as the law is. So the law will say, let's say for for this particular situation, if you are circumcised, then you are a part of the saved. If you are not circumcised, then you are not a part of the saved. That is easy. Or if you eat this food then you are not saved. But if you decide not to eat the impure food, then you are saved. That's easy. If you eat with these particular people, then you are not saved. But if you only eat with these particular people, then you are saved. That is very easy. And it's very secure. It's very black and white. And yet, again, while it is easy and it is clear, if all we needed were those rules, we would not need Jesus. So it just doesn't quite work. So is it a free-for-all then? Do we receive grace and then it doesn't matter what we do? Now Paul says absolutely not. So then the question then for us who tend to be very black and white thinkers is, then what does it mean? Where's the tension? How do we understand the impact of grace in our lives. As I've thought about this, there, there, there came an analogy that came to my head, and, and, and this analogy is not perfect, as no analogy is, but it does seem to me to be helpful in how perhaps we can understand what it means to have a grace-centered life versus a law-centered life. And it is the distinction between a bounded set and a centered set. Does anyone know the, those terms at all? All right. Well, good. Here's what it means. When I was growing up, I, um, I would oftentimes drive to western Kansas, or we would drive to western Kansas because my mother uh, had grown up there on a farm, and so all her family, a lot of her family was still there. My grandfather was still there. So we would drive all the way out to western Kansas. Now, I don't know how many of you have been to western Kansas, um, but I can tell you it is really pretty. And um, and that was very sarcastic. It is not that pretty. Here's, here's Western Kansas. You've got, you've got, it's very flat. We get that. And then it's fences and then it's cows and then it's wheat. And then you go a little further and then, and then you see some more fences and then it's cow and then there's wheat. Um, and if you go further though, then you get to see some fences and some cows and some more wheat. And that's what it is again and again and again. And as a 10-year-old, kind of after being seeing about 10 hours of this, it is absolutely excruciating. But one of the things I noticed as we were driving out on these uh, long country roads was that every once in a while, I would see something painted on the road. And what was painted there were things that looked like greats. 
Anyone ever seen that? Okay, a few of you. So I asked my mother, I said, well, why are these painted grates here? That seems very odd. And she said, okay, well, here's the reason. You see the cows over there? Yes, I see the cows. There's lots of them. You see the fences? Yes, mother, I see the fences. Well, of course, the farmers want the cows to stay close to them, right? And so they put up fences. Okay, that makes sense. But then if the fence breaks down and they're going and they get outside the fence and they have those grates. And so the cow, of course, will step on the grate and... Ouch. Hamburger. No, and then it can't go any further, right? So it works. But then the other thing that they do is then they begin to paint grates on there so that the cow thinks it's a real grate, and so then the cow doesn't actually go, right? This has nothing to do with anything, but I think that that's interesting, right? And so so what I learned, right, from that was that was that cows are perhaps not the brightest of animals that we have, that people are fairly ingenious, and, and that farmers want to make sure that their cows stay close. And so they put up these things, paint, Greats, but primarily fences all around to make sure that the cows stay close, to make sure that they don't get away. That is a bounded set. The fence is the framework and keeps everybody close to the farmer. But that's not the only way to farm. A few years back, I was reading a book that was talking about Australian farming. And what they said was the, the farms in Australia, the ranches there are so massive that it, that it really makes no economic sense to try to put a fence all the way around. So what they do is they have one place from whence the cows can get water. And so they put up one place where there is water, much like an African safari, right? Where the animals, no matter how dangerous it is, they're going to stay close there because they know that that's their only way to have life. And so they do that. And then the cows tend to stay pretty close. Now, every once in a while, you'll get a stray. It will go too far away. But by and large, the cows stay very close to the water because they know that that is their source for life. They could, if they wanted to, just take off. But they know, most of them, that it would not end well for them. And that is a centered set. My point, it seems to me, is that if you want something that at least for me is helpful in trying to think this through, is that those with fences, that is the bounded set, that is living according to the law which means that you know because you have all of these rules and all of these regulations, you have these fences, and the fence can be made up of things like circumcision, of things like how do you understand communion, of things like what what kind of particular kind of church you go to, what brand you are, your particular theology. All those things can be a particular fence, and it's nice and clear. And the good news is, is that it's very secure. There's not much freedom in it, but at least you know exactly where you are, and you know where everyone else is. As well. And that's living according to the law, it seems to me. You've got the rules, you've got the fence, and you know whether you're in and out or whether or not your person next to you is in or out. But I would suggest to you that what Paul is asserting here is more of a centered set, which means that we have the grace, we have the waters of baptism, the grace of Jesus that is there and that has drawn us in. And that as we begin to drink of the waters of grace, 
that there is something about us that wants to stay close to Jesus because we know that it is the source of life. Now, all of us will attest to that there have been times when perhaps we get a little bit further away from that water than we should. Maybe we have doubts. Maybe we have struggles physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is. There may be times when we get a little bit further away and we may not see offense and we may not know, well, what does this mean? Where are we? But the reality is, is that the waters of grace are always there waiting, always waiting to be poured out upon us or to allow us to drink from them. And so it may not feel quite as secure as black or white, but it forces us then to trust in the grace of Jesus Christ. And this is a centered set, or what I would suggest to you, to be a grace-centered. We stay close to Jesus, not because we are afraid that we're going to fall over the fence or break through the fence or be outside of the fence, but we stay there because we know that it is what is feeding our souls and our beings. But then it goes back to the previous question, well, so then does it matter or does it not matter how we live? And again, Paul says, yes, it matters. We are called to live in a different way, but we don't do that because out of fear or anxiety that we're going to be on the wrong side of the fence. We do it, we abide, we get closer to Jesus because of the fact that we long to be with him. And the more that we are drinking from those waters, the more we begin to be shaped more and more like Jesus. And the more that we are around people who are around this same watering hole and we continue to drink together on this journey, the more we begin to be shaped like Jesus. The more we begin to read scripture and to say, well, if this is who Jesus has called us to be and if this is where we are getting life, of course we want to try to follow what Jesus wants us to. But it looks different than simply always thinking, are we on the fence? Are we on this side of the fence? And is that person in the fence or is that person outside of the fence? But the problem is that we and others like fences. And it is why, if you understand grace, it is always a bit controversial. Which brings us then to the first part of the passage. Because it seems that what has happened is that you have a church, first pres of Antioch, who has been living up to this time grace-centered. But all of a sudden, you've got some people from the Jerusalem chapter of the Union of Fence Builders who come in. And they come in and they say to Peter and to others, wait a second, you've got the wrong people around this watering hole. This is not the way it is supposed to look. You are supposed to put up a fence between you. For them, it was circumcision. Again, it can be lots of different things. But you need to put up this fence so that these people cannot get to the same watering hole where you are. Otherwise, you are endangering yourself. But Paul, of course, was having none of it. You see, Paul understands that if in our personal lives we are called to be a part of this watering hole, if that's grace-centered, then it should also reflect in our communities as a whole as well, in our churches. That the question should not be, do you eat impure food or pure food? Have you been circumcised or not? With whom do you eat or not? The question is, have you drunk from the waters of grace? And if you have drunk from the waters of grace, then we want to be with you a 
around Jesus the Christ. Because what Paul understands is as soon as you start putting fences up, what you are doing is you are saying that grace is not enough. What you are saying is that Jesus died for nothing. But we always have a tendency, it seems to me, to want to be comfortable and to see clear fences. Megan uh, goes to in, uh, Megan goes to Jim Livengood's uh, Sunday school class usually, and, and, and she told me something he said a few months ago, and if this is not true, I apologize, Jim, so don't blame Jim for this. Blame it on me. And he said that oftentimes churches begin and they tend to be more, they tend to be maybe perhaps more grace oriented. And then the longer they go, they tend to become more rules oriented, I think is what she said. Uh, what I would suggest, they tend to start adding, becoming more law-like. They, there's a tendency to want to start adding more fences the longer you go. It's just kind of natural. And I think some of that is internal. Some of that is our own desire to know where we stand. But I think some of it is also external. I think sometimes there are external pressures on us. I thought about that. I think about that because ever since I got here, quite frankly, I've had several conversations with ZPC folks uh, who have met with people who don't go to ZPC, who are other brothers and sisters in Christ from other churches. Um, And my guess is that their motivation is pure and right. However, A part of the conversation oftentimes seems to be an assertion, a a bit of a surprise that, well, you still go to ZPC. I'm kind of surprised that you would still go there. Or or perhaps I'm surprised that you would still go to a church that, you know, like that and still fellowships with uh, some of these other churches that we don't think you should. And and, and there's this sense, and I'm going to be honest here, there's almost a sense of if you were really Christian, uh, if your church was really Christian, perhaps you wouldn't be doing that any longer. There's almost a question of, should you put up a fence? And sometimes when we hear those things, our natural reaction might be, well, you know, maybe we should put up a fence. But I want to encourage you instead, perhaps as your pastor and as someone who loves you and who loves this church, and I'll be honest with you, when I hear these stories, it makes me incredibly angry. But my encouragement is not to get angry because I don't think that's the right reaction. My encouragement is to remember that a people who lead with grace are a people who are more interested in helping people get to the watering hole of the grace of Jesus than we are with putting up fences around one another. And I want you to know that I think that that is scriptural. I really do. That doesn't mean that we aren't calling people to live differently. It doesn't mean that as we're at the watering hole and as we begin to drink of Jesus, that we're going to see that Jesus always calls us to something different, always is challenging us. But it does mean that people will never be challenged and will never experience that grace if we don't allow them to come to the watering hole. If we don't allow them to come and to experience the waters of Jesus. So my hope and my prayer is that we will reflect, that we will continue as we go through Galatians to keep thinking, what does it mean for us to be a grace-centered people? It's not easy. It sounds easy, but the reality is it's a lot easier to be law-centered and to have fences than it is to be grace-centered. But my hope and prayer is that we will help to do what the psalmist says, which is to help others to taste and to see that the Lord is 
good. That we would be a people who are encouraging others to come to the watering hole. That we may drink in deeply of the baptismal waters that have washed us. Not because we have done the right things, but because Jesus the Christ has died and been raised for us. Come to the watering hole that all may experience the grace and love of Christ. Amen?